Welcome into the latest edition of the Inside Carolina podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. This show is sponsored, as always, by Johnny T-Shirt and johnnytshirt.com. They are great sponsors of Inside Carolina and of these podcasts, and they're great friends of you if you're a premium subscriber because you get 10%. And let me tell you, the 10% works when you spend a couple hundred dollars at Johnny T-Shirt online or on Franklin Street, as you're bound to do as we get closer into football season. This is On The Beat, and of course, we're live on YouTube. Those of you not listening live, um, you missed it. It's going to be a fun show. I've got Gregory Hall here running the wheels. Gregory is the expert on getting this stuff live, and of course, um, I'm not sure how your screen appears. Mine is Gregory and I at the top, and then the main man, Greg Barnes, at the bottom. Greg Barnes, what's going on? Not too much, I tell you. It's um, as if there wasn't enough change of foot in college football that now we have to add all this realignment mess into it it's what an incredible season i know the the inside carolina shirts that um certainly people on our message boards had a chance to order said there is no off season uh indeed this has uh, been a summer i was talking to gregory before we went live how many shows have we when was the last time we did a show it's been two months yeah i think we did it at the beginning of June, I, it might have been way earlier than that, actually, because I think it's been over because we did it right after the spring game. Right. I think you're right. And then so we're like three months almost. So here we are. What? July 27th, um, a week before camp. Right, Greg? Greg, camp yep. is a week from now. Camp right? opens uh, next Wednesday and the first practice is next Thursday. So we're, I guess nine days away from the first practice hard to believe and like i tweeted back in summer i've never seen this kind of hype surrounding carolina football and carolina basketball for that matter going into the 21 22 season it is going to be something special let's get into why i wanted to convene this meeting right away and um and joey powell's picking on you on the youtube live channel um gregory so make sure you check out those comments. I'll give him he's a just, shout. Already. He's just jealous that he doesn't do lives with me. He is. Uh, he is. Um, he got strong armed. Greg Barnes. Let's talk about a realignment or whatever you want to call it. I call it pure chaos. This week, last week, however long it's been going on, Oklahoma and Texas to the SEC is a done deal. That to me, that changes everything. It. It is it'll never be the same when that happened and tell me why I'm wrong. And then we can sort of get into it a little further. No, I think you're right. Um, and I would say that if you go back, you know, 10, 15 years, when we went through the first round of expansion, we had a lot of these same conversations about, Oh goodness, you know, football is never going to be the same. It's, it's changing at the college level. Um, and, there was some legitimacy to that, but I think not long after we kind of settled back down. And while there was a lot of teams moving, uh, it, it kind of calmed down. And um, this time I think it's different. And, and the reason I, I think it's different is because we're, we're in this situation where Texas and Oklahoma were really the two big dogs in the big 12. And if you go back to 10 years ago, uh, you know, even the ACC was looking at adding Texas and there was conversations because Texas was not, not happy with their situation, but because of the Longhorn network deal, uh, they were able and willing to stay in the big 12 and that really calmed the waters. Um, 
with Texas and Oklahoma leaving and going to the SEC, and we can dive into this a little bit if you want, likely won't be before 2025, uh, but it very well could be before 2025. There's some out clauses there for them. But when they leave, I mean, what happens to the Big 12? Nobody just, cares. They, and that's it, Tommy. Nobody cares. Uh, they could add a few teams, but what teams are going to help them? Because you've already lost Nebraska to big, the Big Ten. So there's a good chance the Big 12 dissolves. And then you get all this conversation about the Pac-12 and the Big Ten at least coming up with some kind of an agreement in terms of scheduling, which I think is smart because that, that bolsters your out-of-conference uh, games. It gives you a little bit of tie-in and assures the existence and uh, the continued existence of the Rose Bowl. And then you have the ACC sitting over here with very limited options. Um, and so we can kind of dive into what that looks like. But the SEC has positioned themselves incredibly well. Um, the, I can only imagine the next deal they sign with ESPN, what that's going to be like. Because, I mean, their they're exclusive deal in terms of broadcast, that doesn't even start until 2024. So we hadn't even gotten to that yet, and that's before Texas and Oklahoma enter the picture. Uh, so, I mean, you can go ahead and say, if you wanted to, that the SEC was the first super conference just because of what they've been able to do and Big Ten's up there with them. Adding Texas and Oklahoma changes everything. Um, and now we're in a, a period where the NCAA is teetering on the edge of existence. What does that mean for how football is going to shape up? Uh, I, mean, I don't think anybody knows at this point in time. Does the ACC exist, or, or of course they'll exist, but can the ACC function um, as we know it without adding Notre Dame in this climate? Uh, can it function? Yes. So if we were to look at some numbers, here, here's kind of where the, the issue comes in. Um, when you look at exactly what, these conferences have figured out over the last however many years. Uh, let's see, I have the numbers right here. Okay. So this is 2019-2020, conference revenue. Big Ten, $769 million. SEC, $729 million. I mean, those, team, those conferences are battling to see who's going to be the first billion-dollar revenue conference in the country. And they have the gall to say this is still an amateur sport, which is hilarious. <laughs> um, Pac-12, 534 million. And then you got the ACC at 496.7 million. So the ACC is not quite $300 million in revenue behind the Big Ten per year. And when you look at distributions, because that's just total revenue for the conferences, when you look at how these distributions are split up, Big Ten – teams received a distribution of $54.3 million in the 2019-2020 year. Um, the SEC was $45.5 million. Big 12 was a little bit less than $40 million, which is, you know, all Texas and Oklahoma. Pac-12 is at $33.6 million. And then the ACC on average is $32.4 million. And for those asking Clemson, because they keep going to the college football playoff, they actually got $37 million, so they were on the high end. And then Notre Dame, as a partial number, uh, got $10.8 million. So we're looking at this landscape saying the ACC is so far behind. Why are they behind? Well, number one, TV deals. I mean, the Big Ten Network's been in place for over a decade now. Uh, the SEC Network's been in place for a while. 
uh, the ACC networks in year two, I guess they're about to start year three. Um, that revenue is going to increase. They, they feel pretty good. Like if they ever get this deal worked out with Comcast in the mid-Atlantic, that will really help. It's not going to be a drastic boost, but it is going to help the revenue numbers. Um, now you talk about Notre Dame. Uh, if you add Notre Dame, that's going to give you a significant boost for sure. It's going to help. I think that's the ACC's only play right now. Um, and that's really the problem. And because of some of these conversations, and I don't want to just talk for forever, so we can come back to whatever you want. But when you start talking about what happened last year, and I really think John Swafford stubbed his toe on the way out, which, which I hate to say because he was a great commissioner for the ACC for a long time. But how he handled the Notre Dame situation last year, I thought he handled it very poorly. Um, combined with the fact that Notre Dame, because of a 12-team college football playoff, I mean, that increases the likelihood that they stay independent. Um, exactly. So, right? And so now you're talking about Notre Dame's the big fish that you have to have. You're not in really position to get them now. I, mean, I, think, I think it's an option, but likely not. Um, that's problematic. The only benefit and the only reason I think the ACC is in position to survive, even though it's not going to be near at the Big Ten or SEC level, is the fact that they have the media grants of rights uh, that extend into the 2035-36 season. And basically what that means is that every single school in the ACC signed their rights to ESPN and to the conference. So if Carolina, for example, decides to bolt to the SEC, all of their home games, all their football home games, any revenue generated off those home games in terms of media rights would go to the ACC, whether or not UNC was in the conference or not. And that's Texas. That's why 2025 is the thing for Texas and Oklahoma, correct? Because their media rights are till 2025, which makes this a lot more feasible for them to leave. Right. And then, but see, here's the thing too, because you know that the SEC deal that they're going to be able to work out media rights wise is going to be astronomical, just ridiculous. And looking at some of the numbers of, of what uh, Texas is looking at in, in Oklahoma, number one, if the conference dissolves, so if the Big 12, the other teams are like, you know what, we're getting out of here because you've already got a couple teams asking around, right? You've already got West Virginia saying, hey, we're interested in whoever wants us. Kansas had a phone call with the Big 10 already. Right. The day the news came out, Kansas was like, uh-uh, we're, we're out of here. Yeah. So if the Big 12 dissolves in six months' time, those, those grant of rights deals that they have signed are null and void. Right. And so – Texas and Oklahoma are free to go as soon as they want to. There is an 18-month required notice of departure. So the earliest that they could get out would be 18 months from today or yesterday, I guess. Um, and if they have to pay a penalty, I think it's in the $75 million range. And the reason I, I mentioned the SEC deal a minute ago is because $75 million is a lot of money for sure. But when you factor in what they're going to be gaining and what they could potentially gain by going to the SEC early, I mean, you would wipe away that, that deficit pretty quickly, I would think. So uh, Big 12 dissolves. Every, everything's off the table. Anybody can go wherever they want. Is that yep. fair? Yep. If yeah, it doesn't, no... they have to pay the 75. I'm, I'm thinking, like, who do they pay it to? Like, send it to a vacant house or a vacant post office box for right. the Big 12? I mean, it's just insane. So let me ask the question that I thought, and it's always interesting on Inside Carolina Message Boards, is to see what – people are thinking but 
who in the Big 12 or who out there that is within reason not named Notre Dame moves the needle for the ACC? I can't think of one. From the Big 12? Anywhere. I mean, you're not going to get an SEC school. No, You're not going to pull a Big 10 school given that money, right? Right. You see, I was – so when I read when I read Buck's column about how UNC and Virginia should be calling the Big Ten, um, my initial thoughts when I heard all this news, kind of my ACC bias was the ACC should go get Ohio State and Michigan. They fit the academic profiles, they fit football, they fit basketball, all the other schools. It makes sense. But then when you look at the numbers, it doesn't make any sense for the ACC. The ACC has no leverage to go get a school like that. So then I was because I didn't agree with Buck when he said that. And then I looked at the numbers and I was like, okay, never mind, because it's not feasible for UNC to go get school or for the ACC to go get schools like that. So, yeah, I mean, there's no reason for UNC to stay in the ACC unless they go get Notre Dame and start to try to get people. I mean, if if you could pull squeeze a Notre Dame and a Penn State. I mean, I you think get you State. get a physical. They're not going to leave for that kind of money. But Greg in the Big 12. I mean, West Virginia, that doesn't move the needle financially, does it? I mean, it's a, I'm not as anti-West Virginia as I am some other schools that are a lot closer. But that doesn't move the needle to, to get the ACC on any better bargaining chip. No, right? and, no, and I think the way people need to understand this is what is the value and the revenue share that a new team can bring in? Um, you know, if you're looking at what you're warning from, from a new team coming in, um, I figured it out. If you want to get to 35 or $36 million distribution, it's a 32.4 right now. So if you want to increase revenue by like $3 million per team, $3 million, um, you've got to think, okay, well, they've got to at least match distribution and then they've got to improve upon it. So if you add two teams not named Notre Dame, they have to bring in essentially like $57 million worth of revenue a piece to make this balance out to where you're making more money as a t- total conference. Think about that. I mean, we're talking about you know, roughly $33 million already. So a team would have to bring in the $33 million, and then you have to add some on top of that to be able to make some money. Is West Virginia going to bring in $50 million worth of revenue per year? No way. No chance. There's nobody out there other than Notre Dame. And if you go back, here's the thing. If you go back to the first round of expansion, why does the ACC, why did they get Boston College? Why did they get Syracuse? Why did they get Miami? Those markets. Those markets, specifically those television markets. Yeah. Now, in in theory, it sounded good because we were still talking about cable TV rates at that point in time. (laughs) Thinking New York State, you're thinking Massachusetts, you're thinking – South Florida, big TV markets. What they didn't really think about is that Boston's not a college town. Syracuse is in upstate New York, and it's not really anywhere close to New York City. Miami's just a unique, and it's a very small school, not a big alumni base. Um, so it was kind of flawed from the beginning, but at least the concept was good, right? You, you had the potential to dive into these TV markets. That's why they've had the ACC tournament in Brooklyn, those kind of things. We're past that. We're past the idea of TV subscriptions, cable rates, making a difference in all this because everything's streaming. You know, all these alumni 
uh, alumni bases are just spread out across the country. And it really doesn't matter where you're located. It's just a matter of how many people are going to watch. Um, and when you start talking about it from those terms, yes, Notre Dame is, is the fish that you need. But kind of to Tommy's point, I mean, you're not going to bring, I mean, Penn State, you basically would have to jump through hoops just to get Penn State in a situation where they're not going to lose money on an annual basis. That's where we're at. Yeah. I mean, the agency has to do something they've never done before in terms of generating revenue just to be status quo for Penn State. Um, and, I, you know, Jim Phillips may have some aces up his sleeve, some, some things that he can make happen to at least have some teams like that or maybe even a Maryland listen about rejoining the ACC. Um, but as it stands right now, I just do not see any, any teams out there uh, that are really going to you know, move the needle for the ACC. The only thing that would make sense would be an ACC Big Ten combined merger. Yeah, well, Jay Bill. I'm not a big man. I'm not a Big Ten fan. I don't. I don't want it. I would be disappointed, and I don't. I bet you I speak for a lot of people. I'd be disappointed if Carolina went to the Big Ten. I'd still do this and, and do it, but Carolina's not a Big Ten. I don't care about academic profiles. I guess it's important, but you know, I don't think that'd be good. Go ahead. You were going to mention what Bill has said, and I, and I heard what he said, and I think it's relevant. Yeah, Bill has just mentioned, you know, the ACC, instead of trying to expand, should, should think about a potential merger with the SEC. But I think doing that, um, I think anything is on the table at this point in time. But I think, I think the SEC would have all the cards. They'd hold all the cards in that situation. Yeah. And that's the thing, too, kind of getting back just to the ACC situation. You could probably tempt uh, Notre Dame to join with giving them some um, added benefits, like maybe a bigger share of the pie or letting them maintain their NBC contract. But if you do that, I mean, what does that say to Clemson, you know, who's won the ACC six years in a row, who's won two national championships, or to Florida State, who's won a national championship in the last 10 years? Um, I mean, you're letting a team that has a bigger brand name but is not as good on the football field dictate what kind of the rules are going to be. I think you just get into a lot of issues if you if you try to do that. So so let's wrap this portion and we'll come back after the break and talk uh, answer some questions more Carolina specific. But Greg, what's what's the play? What's next? I mean, Oklahoma and Texas are gone; they're off the table. What is the play for the ACC, but not just the ACC for North Carolina going forward? Because I do not think you can sit still. If you sit still, then you're going to be standing in the abyss watching everybody else here's here's the sad thing uh when we talk about national brands unc is certainly up there and there is no doubt in my mind that any of the other four power five conferences would jump at a moment's notice to add unc to their list of schools um i do not think unc is in a position uh, to look solely out for itself. And uh, you, there's a lot, of, um, a lot of respect in play there. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of uh, selflessness in play there, which are all good qualities. But in this type of situation, you can't worry about state. You can't worry about Duke and those rivalries, and you can't worry about Wake. Uh, 
you, you have to kind of look out for what's best for you. Um, and I, I think that's going to be an internal dialogue. I think there's finally you know, Bubba Bubba is different than any other AD North Carolina's had uh, just because he has a little bit different view. He's more of a businessman than, than a lot of the other ADs that UNC's had over the years. Um, so he's not going to be blind to it. I think he's going to be willing to, to listen to options, but I think there's going to be a, a large uh, segment of the high money rollers uh, that like the tradition of what UNC is about and like the, likes the, the rivalries and the ACC and all those kind of things, which I totally get. But I think there's going to be a lot of internal dialogue, a lot of headbutting about what is best for UNC as opposed to what's best for the big four and for the ACC. Somebody made the point on the message board the other day, and I think it's incredibly valid. The way that North Carolina has grown its brand, and yes, it started with basketball, um, but there's a lot of schools in this state that North Carolina is competitive with that don't see UNC as an asset in this state. Uh, and I get it with the, the rivalry and I get it with the hatred. Um, but I, I tell you, that's just a very, very bad way of looking at it. If you're looking at purely from a business perspective, you know, North Carolina is, is the gold standard in this state. And so you would think that some of the other schools would realize that and they would really work to, to solve some of these issues together. And I don't think that happens. And I don't know if that, that would aid North Carolina in being willing to take a step uh, away from those traditions. Um, but I do think there's going to be a lot of those conversations to be had in, in, the, in the short time. Uh, otherwise, Tommy, I think the ACC is just going to be knocking on that Notre Dame door and just trying to see exactly what Notre Dame – nothing will take place until we get a firm answer from Notre Dame. The other thing to watch out for, as I mentioned earlier, is I really like the idea of what the Big Ten and Pac-12 are talking about in terms of that scheduling alliance. I think that makes a lot of sense. That really sets them up well moving forward. Um, but when you add in the Big 12, is probably going to collapse, or at least there's going to be a different version of it. Uh, the ACC is kind of sitting over here all by itself, and uh, the future does not look very bright at the moment. It's interesting. Uh, all you got to do is look back to the 2010s and see what other people might, what links they'll go to to bring down um, the golden goose in the state. It's uh, it's fascinating. You know, it was before my time. I'm no, I know I'm the oldest one here, but Carolina used to have great rivalries with Georgia and Florida, and even Tennessee on the football field back in the day. I would love to see it. Um, rekindle those um, I could live without seeing Carolina and Wake Forest or Carolina and Duke play on the football field and maybe take trips to our southern states and see some of those games but yeah a lot of moving parts Greg I know you're always on the forefront of it Buck's done some wonderful columns on it um, and you mentioned the inside Carolina message board dialogue it's been fascinating to see a lot of valid opinions a lot of good ones we'll see what the powers that be do to to write this ship. Cause like I said, I don't think Carolina can sit idly by. Uh, and if Clemson and Florida state, um, see the pretty girl and go after uh, this conference is in desperate straits, I think. Anyway, we can talk more about it and we will, um, let's take a break. Let's take a short break. We'll let the national guys pay the bills. First, let me talk about Johnny t-shirt. 
I talk about them all the time because I believe in them all the time. They're great sponsors of the podcast. Go to their website, go to their store on Franklin Street and shop. Get your gear for the football season coming up, your tailgating gear. There's no home gating gear uh, this year. There might be, but you don't need it because you need to be at Keenan Stadium on Saturdays in the fall. Johnny T-shirt, johnnytshirt.com. And certainly uh, the sponsorship gives you that 10% if you're a premium subscriber. National guys will pay the bills. We'll come right back on the beat live. Greg Barnes, Gregory Hall, Tommy Ashley. We'll see you in just a second. All right, boys, we're back. Our YouTube audience is still here dropping questions. Greg Barnes, Gregory Hall. Uh, let me ask you, Greg, about Buck's opinion on his column and um, I'll talk with Buck a little bit later with a rowdy group shortly. Um, I don't think if the, if the, this is what I've always said. And, and I think Buck says something similar. I wanted a bigger playoff, but a bigger playoff kills the ACC in this situation, Greg, what, what's your take on that? And what's your take on what Buck talked about? So I think Buck's point is, is very, Buck has always been a, a forward thinking guy and, uh, I think this this is something that we haven't really seen discussed on the national level. So kudos to Buck for kind of thinking about this in, in this light. Uh, very clearly, the SEC in Texas and Oklahoma ha have been working on this for a while. I mean, they basically on Tuesday sent out um, matching press releases, right? I mean, this, is, this has been in the works for a while. And the reason that's interesting is because who has been pushing the 12-team playoff? Been Greg Sankey for good reason because you know, if you're at four teams in the playoff and Texas and Oklahoma come in, well, all of a sudden it gets very tough for you know that many SEC teams to get in. And so it doesn't, I mean, unless it's a pure money grab, which this probably is anyway, but uh, that would be a bad decision for Texas and Oklahoma. So Buck's, Buck's opinion is one thing that the other conferences can do to counter this move of the SEC adding Texas and Oklahoma is to fight back against the idea of this 12-team uh, expansion for the playoff. And if you keep it at four, then you're really kind of holding Texas and Oklahoma's feet to the fire and making it tough for them uh, making this move. And the other part of it, which I think is interesting, is what you could also do, because the way that the voting works, and it will work in September, is all the FBS commissioners get to vote on this. And – Notre Dame. So there's 10 FBS conferences. Miss Warbrick will get the vote, I imagine. He'll be the one in charge for Notre Dame. So I don't know if that, that's it, but that's essentially what it will be. So if you've got 10 conferences, why not they expand to 16? And everybody go in together and say, you know what? We have 10 FBS conferences. We want every single conference champion to be included. And then Notre Dame could have like they had with the BCS where if Notre Dame finishes in the top 15 or whatever it was, they get an invite. And then you could have whatever ranking system after that for the final five spots. But that way you're completely leveling the playing field as best you can against the SEC. SEC will be against it, of course. But everybody else, I mean, if, if you're worried about the SEC assuming dominance, those are two ways that you have power in your hands in September to fight back. Now, the, the conversation thus far has been a lot of these, uh, especially the group of five 
conferences has said, well, you know, we really think that the, the best, best team should get in. So we don't want to set this precedent where the conference champion of each conference gets in. Well, now when you're talking about the best teams, I mean, who's to say it's not going to be three SEC teams every year. Um, and so maybe in terms of self-preservation, these, these conference commissioners will get together and say, you know what, we hold the key here. We can actually make decisions with regard to college football playoff expansion or not expanding. Um, will they have the foresight to do that? And we'll have to wait and see, but I think it's a very interesting play. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we'll see if the foresight to do it is there. What I've seen is that everybody can't get together to unite for the common good. Everybody's yeah. Anyway, yep. let's talk, let's talk a little Carolina. Um, one of the questions I saw on the message boards and, and Gregory and Greg, I'll get you both involved. Um, I'll give you one Gregory and I'm going to give Greg another. Who's the most likely, and if folks are listening to this that hasn't looked, the all-ACC teams came out and all that stuff. But what is the most? What is the Carolina player most likely not on the list for preseason that is likely to be on the list in postseason? Gregory, I'll let you go first. Uh, Josh Downs on offense, Jeremiah Gimmel on defense. It's just pretty standard. I thought – I mean, I put both of those guys on my list. I put Josh Downs not because of past – just because I expect him to be on it at the end. And I put Jeremiah Gimmel on it because I thought he was going to actually be on it. I was kind of, I guess, not shocked, but a little surprised that um, he wasn't in the top two linebackers. I ex I expect he was third. I'd be shocked if he was anything beyond that as far as votes. Um, but Jeremiah is going to be the center of that defense. And then Josh Downs is probably going to be the number one wide receiver. And if you're the number one wide receiver on UNC taking balls from Sam Howell, you're going to be a top three wide receiver in the ACC. It's just I don't think there could be any other way. Greg, to Gregory's point, how is how is Gimmel not included given what he's done? Well, I think I think Gimmel's gonna be an easy choice for probably second team. But just looking at I mean, you talk about Peyton Wilson, who I know Carolina fans aren't a fan of, of Peyton. A lot of people out there think he's the best linebacker in the ACC. Um James he led Cousins. tackles last year, right? Yeah. And if he stays healthy, he's gonna put up a ton of numbers. Right. Um, Skowski at, at Clemson. I mean, clearly he's going to be up there. And then the, the Jackson kid at uh, Virginia is a good player. So it's not like Jeremiah is being overlooked. Um, but I think if the defense takes the step forward that we think they should, that they need to, um, he's going to get plenty of attention. I think he'll, he'll for sure be uh, second team, if not third team. So I, I think he's, he's an easy pick for the defense. And then I agree with Gregory. You, know, you can throw Ty Chandler in there as well. Just because, uh, you know, with Carter and Williams gone at the running back position, somebody has to take over the yards. Are they going to be as good as Carter and Williams? Most likely not. They're not going to have as many yards. They're still going to put up a lot of numbers in this offense with, James, with Sam Howell running the show. And the same with the wide receivers. Um, regardless of how good any of these guys are, when you have a Heisman candidate throwing you the ball, when you have a top 10 draft pick throwing you the ball, exactly. you're going to catch a lot of them. So somebody's going to get a lot of yards. Sam Howell's not going to throw for 3,500 yards without a wide receiver getting 1,000 yards. This is how it's going to be. And whoever that player is, uh, is going to be in contention for all ACC. Uh, you know, likely going to be Josh Downs, could be Bo Corrales, could be Choffrey Brown. You know, somebody will emerge as the number one guy, and whoever that is, uh, will certainly be in contention for, for postseason accolades.
I just yeah. did a uh, 10 UNC football players who I think are going to make a big jump for this season. And Ty Chandler had like, I think 456 yards on the ground last year at Tennessee. And I said, he's going to double it this season. So if he's got 900 yards, he's going to make a probably third team. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't include Sam throwing in the ball out of the backfield, which he's going to probably get at least a hundred of those. So if he's at a thousand all purpose yards, based on the running backs that are in this league, I'd be shocked if he didn't make a team. Well, I mean, a wide receiver for Carolina could is going to catch a ton of passes by accident with Sam Howell throwing the ball. I mean, like Greg said, and we talked about it in our over-under podcast, I guess, earlier in the summer. I mean, if he throws for 35 and 3,500 or 40 and 4,000, somebody – at least one guy is going to have some ridiculous numbers. I just wonder, is it Downs? I don't know if it's Corrales with that many numbers. Um, we'll see. Or maybe it's somebody we don't really talk about. But um, yeah. Corrales could get a lot of those touchdowns if they use him in as the tall guy in goal line situations. He might not have the yards, but he could have the touchdowns. He will get a ton of red zone touchdowns. I wonder. Uh, we'll see. Uh, I mean, he looked good at times during the season, but you're right. He is tough to deal with assuming he's fully healthy on, on those situations where they can just throw it to his back shoulder and he bosses or mosses um, the defensive back. Greg, give me a name um, that might emerge in preseason camp here that maybe we haven't talked about. Either side of the ball? Either side. Because Gregory's going to get the other side of the ball when you're done. All right. Let's 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 think here. Um you know, I really think I know we talked a lot about uh, Garrett Walston at tight end being a key player, and he is. But just some of what I've seen in, in practice and in scrimmages, Kamar uh, Morales, uh, I think he's a different type of player. I think he's just a big athletic guy who uh, can give you a little bit more down the field uh, than Walston. So I think he'll get a lot of playing time. I think that's the guy that's going to surprise. I, I think he's going to be. Uh, a good addition to the offense at a position where people probably are not expecting him. And, uh, you know, other than that, I'd say Caleb hood on the offensive side. I think he's going to be a guy because he does have a unique skill set. I know he he was a name that we heard in the spring, but I really expect him to kind of solidify himself in the rotation. I think Chandler will be the top guy, uh, but I think hood will be a, a key, key piece of this puzzle. Gregory, you got the other side of the ball. Sure. Um, Day-Day Hollins, I think we're going to hear a lot about. Um, when I was asking Jeremiah and Taman last week at ACC kickoff, guys that have kind of stood out and made themselves known during offseason workouts, both mentioned Day-Day. Uh, even Sam mentioned Day-Day Hollins and Kyler McMichael and just like the corners in general because, I mean, Tony Grimes made preseason all-ACC. Storm Duck, who was injured all last year, still has the hype because what he's done – as he, when he, what he did his freshman year as a young player. Um, but I think the players are going to talk about Day-Day Holland stepping up and not letting there be a lot of drop-off from one to four, in which that needs to happen, right? Because if Day-Day Holland is on the field and offenses can just put him on an island consistently, that's not good for UNC, no matter what they do on the defensive line, no matter what their linebackers can do right? He's going to get snaps because Tony Grimes and Storm Duck and Kyler McMichael, they can play most of the game, but they can't play all of it, or at least Jay Bateman doesn't want them to have to play all of it. So that's my pick for that. And then, man, uh, Greg picked two, so I'll pick a second person. Kedrick 
Bingley Jones, I think, on the line. We kind of heard his name a little bit in the spring, but I think we're going to hear his name a lot in this fall camp as far as competition with the defensive line because, I mean, that's going to be – at least that's what I'm most excited to see as which defensive linemen emerge because, I mean, there's a lot of them, and they're all big bodies, and they're all talented, and they're all strong, but I think Kedrick Bingley-Jones will hear, hear his name a lot. Interesting. Greg, question on YouTube, total yards for Hood. Uh, this is what will be interesting to watch is Will Longo and Porter and Mac Brown, will they rotate the running backs as much as they did the last couple of years? Um, I mean, when you've got Carter and Williams back there and you don't rotate them for pretty much equal, then you're not doing your job. Um, but is that the case this year? Do you think they'll be able to do that and will they do that? with Chandler and maybe a guy like Hood. Yeah, I really think it's a situation kind of like quarterback where you know what you have this year, like with a Ty Chandler. Uh, but you've got a lot of young, inexperienced guys in that running backs room. And I think with how things played out defensively last year, where North Carolina and Jay Bateman finally said, you know what, we've got to do something defensively. We're going to throw in some of the young guys, even though we're not sure that they're ready. And it kind of worked out. Um, defense played a little bit better at the end of the year. Um, and, and I think you know, Mac has alluded to it with Sam, that we know what we've got with Sam. Everybody does. Uh, but we need to be looking ahead because he's probably not going to be here next year. So what does Jacoby and, and Drake need to do? And so I think you have the exact same situation in the running backs room where, yes, Chandler is your go-to guy maybe. Uh, but you've got Hood, you've got Edmonds, you've got Henderson, you've got DJ Jones, uh, you've got all these guys that have potential in different ways. And so I think you'll see a lot of, a lot of rotation. Um, you may, you know, in key games, you may see them narrow it down to maybe three guys. But I think some of these games where it kind of gets out of hand, I think you'll see several games where there's you know, maybe five or six running backs get touches just to be able to give the coaching staff an opportunity as they go into the offseason next year. Okay, we've seen enough of this guy. He got 50 you know, rushes last year. We think he can help us, or we don't think he's going to help us at all. And I think just kind of as you build for the future, you've got to start looking at it in that way. Mike Brown's got embarrassment of riches, you know, across the board, but you're right. He's got a lot of guys that are going to – well, Mike ain't trying to keep anybody happy, but he has got a, a lot of guys that he needs to – see what they can do or see what they cannot do. And uh, I think this is that season to sort of with, – with the conversation about roster sizes or scholarships down the road, I mean, they're going to have to figure out who can help them. We're going to get out of here shortly. I've got one more question for Greg Brown oh, – Greg Brown – for Greg Barnes. It's not Carolina-specific related, but we can talk about it. And that's the name, image, and likeness. We haven't really talked about it since all these guys started popping with their deals. Um, Greg, has it been like you expected it would be um, early on, or is it is it different? I mean, Sam Howell going to Bojangles. I mean, I guess Raleigh's going to have to find a different place to <laughs> shop for chicken, which would help me be able to stop for the local Bojangles because those folks, I guess, will be at Smithfields or somewhere. But, I mean, what do you think about how this is all shaken out in the short time it's been in, in effect? Well, one one – way of thinking about it is um, kind of watch what the big dogs do. And what I mean by that is some of the big brands and there were some 
some conversation before this this went through, you know, beginning of July, of you know, some of the big names, you know, the, the Nike and Adidas and you know, companies of that level, were probably going to wait and see exactly how things like this play out, and maybe give it six months, maybe give it a year. And so in the meantime, you'll see a lot more local and regional companies come into play. And I think that's what you're seeing. Um, and I'll have a story up this week, so kind of keep an eye out for it. But I've spoken with, with people at UNC, kind of broken down exactly how UNC is handling it, because there's really not a lot of rules in place in the state of North Carolina uh, beyond NCAA guidance. And so North Carolina has its own set of rules. I mean, like, I'll give you an example. Virginia, um, the, the school, University of Virginia, they have to approve these deals for players. Like when a player has something, they have to go and get it approved. Um, North Carolina is not doing that. North Carolina, what they use is they use the, the Compass system, which is basically an app. So whenever a kid like a Tony Grimes uh, gets a, an offer, you know, to come do an autograph session or whatever it may be, he takes that information, he takes that contract, and he feeds it into the, the app. UNC takes a look at it, but it, they are not doing approvals. What they're doing is saying, okay, we're going to make sure that this is not, you know, hitting any kind of compliance issues. And we want to make sure that the student athletes understand these are the ramifications. You know, there may be tax consequences. There may be all these other things for you to think about. So they're really looking at it as, as an idea of, you know, we want to know what's going on. We want to educate the players, but they get to make their decisions. If, if they want to do it or not is up to them. We just want to make sure we're aware of everything and that we're helping them as best they can. Um, and so you know, I'll have a little bit more detail on it. Uh, so check out, check out that later this week. But, you know, it's pretty much, I don't think it's been that big of a deal. Um, you know, I keep waiting for somebody to have a big deal. And I know, you know, Saban's talking about Bryce Young having upwards of a million dollars in deals. You're going to have that. Uh, but, but I like what UNC is doing in terms of trying to get these group licensing deals where they can spread the wealth instead of it just being guys like Sam Howe and Armande Baycott who, who you know, kind of take all the money, if you will. Do it's you not think fair market value, it's Alabama market value, Greg. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, your Auburn boys need to step up. Greg, they're do you, never going to net seven figures. Do you think, um, do you think that this is a rich get richer type deal? the name image likeness the ultimate effect of this do you think it's one of those things where smaller schools suffer more so than the big guys i do i do um as i said i, I like the idea of what north carolina is doing trying to spread the wealth and make it more beneficial for the teams but i just don't see how when you're talking about teams like alabama if you've got some of their high-end guys earning upwards of a million dollars and they've got a five-star third-string cornerback getting nothing, that's going to be an issue. I think the bigger problem, though, beyond that, Tommy, is going to be your recruiting ramifications. Mm. Um, I know the, the guy in Miami, the gym down there, I think it was smart. But basically, if you come play at Miami and you get a roster spot and a scholarship, so there's 85 of them, you're guaranteed a sponsorship of like $5,000. It's paying <laughs> players. I mean, you can package it however you want, but you know, it will never play out that way because you're talking about, you know, however 
hundreds of thousands of dollars the guy's talking about spending in advertising. Um, but you're going to see some schools. I mean, think about all the money that like the Texas schools have. I mean, A&M's got so much money they don't know what to do with it. So what's to stop some business owner being like, all right, uh, $10,000 for every player that comes. I think that's going to be the bigger issue. I, I think it hasn't really taken off yet, but I think as, as schools and legislatures figure out what the rules are going to be, I think that's going to be the biggest issue out of all of this. And then the tax man cometh at yep. some point down the road. So I hope that these these young guys, I don't call them kids anymore, but young guys, I hope they're aware of those ramifications. You talk about the money, and, I, and I've said it before on this podcast, a friend of mine's son's going to Alabama. They go and visit, and every building's brand new. And so they ask the building manager or whatever he is and he was like man we just got so much money we just build stuff we don't know what to do with it all so uh it is a fascinating yeah amateur sports sure guys it's been fun it's been youtube live on the beat live inside carolina podcast sponsored by johnny t-shirt johnny t-shirt.com just so everybody's aware i said it earlier these will go to YouTube live only. Of course, they'll be on YouTube for you to view later, but they will not be iTunes podcast after this one. We're switching over. You'll still get your five, six uh, podcasts via iTunes or however you get consume your podcast, but this would not be one of them. So if you want in on, on the beat with Greg Barnes and Gregory Hall and whoever else we have on these shows, you need to join us every Tuesday night. Um, probably at nine o'clock could be at eight o'clock depends on when my bedtime is on this particular evening, but we will get it done. Barnes hall. My pleasure, man. Thanks for joining me. Yep. If you, for those watching, if you haven't filled out your all UNC ballot yet, you're missing out because we're almost at 400 responses and it's been live for eight hours and you have until Saturday, the end of wow. Saturday over for under on how many responses I want a thousand. I'll I mean, go if, over. If we're at if we're at four if we're at four hundred and it's been eight hours, I mean we're gonna I'm gonna keep tweeting it out and, I mean there were what 146 all ACC media votes, and we've we're almost tripled that. Let's go for a thousand. Greg Barnes at G Biggie I C on Twitter. <laughs> if we get over a thousand. Let's get it done. Thanks, boys. We'll talk soon. Uh, <laughs> On the beat, Greg, last thing, since we're live, it's a little bit convoluted. Give me some important dates for people to remember as we get ready to ramp up towards IC's coverage of the football season, but also uh, the hype legitimately begins. Well, the, the key one is, is really Thursday. Camp opens on Wednesday, uh, which is August 3rd. Is that correct? I believe so. Uh, nope. Fourth? Fourth is Wednesday. So that's when camp opens. Practice does not begin uh, until the next day. It's so Thursday the 5th, and then it's kind of balls to the wall from that point forward. In terms of the, the schedule, I think this is interesting. Uh, just so people understand what training camp is, because what's going to happen is North Carolina will move into a hotel, uh, and they can do that until camp breaks, which is right before classes start. Um, so they go to the hotel, uh, and they are there the whole time. And then they will bus over to the practice fields and then bus back. Wake up calls at 6 a.m. Uh, they've got breakfast and meetings all in the morning. They have practice mid-morning uh, until lunchtime. 12.30, they have lunch. They get a couple hours of break to where they can rest. Then they get into lifts. Then they get into special.
spiritual teams. They have a walkthrough before dinner. They have dinner. Then they have meetings, team meetings and position meetings after that. They have a snack. And then at 10 o'clock, it's, it's bedtime, lights out. And then they get up and they do it all over again at 6 a.m. So it's going to be nuts for those guys for uh, probably like 15 days. And so it is, it's fun, but you, you always hear about training camp being so tiring for these guys. Uh, there's a reason, and that's why. Tommy, how many days could you get through it before breaking? <laughs> Depends on if I had uh, a big contract with Bojangles or something. <laughs> I would. Uh, I you think would get Sam gets Bojangles brought in for him? Yeah, really. <laughs> you think I that's would, in the nutritionist diet? Bojangles for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Man, I, I, there's a reason Ingersoll and Chacos and all those guys always talked about how camp was, yeah, not fun. I guess as a freshman, you think it's pretty cool, and then you realize as an old senior that, yeah, it sucks. But looking forward to it, seeing Carolina get ready for the football season. Like I said earlier, the hype surrounding this season – and the basketball season combined is more than any I've seen since at least 97, 98 era. Greg Barnes will be there to cover it, as will Gregory Hall. I'll be here to talk about it with him, so join us when we're here on YouTube Live. Thanks, boys. Thanks, Tommy. Thank you.